Well, if you'd like to open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, almost the last chapter, but we will, Lord willing, we will get to the last chapter this morning. And last week we uh, started off kind of on a timeline of the things that are ahead according to the scriptures. And I want to invite you again today. Oh, hey, Melissa. Wow. <laughs> um, I'd like to invite you today to just kind of enter into what it would be like to be a prophet. I kind of like this idea of just a prophet was told things that were to come and would have a vision of those things, would see those things. And now we're not going to see it like them because they saw it as it was given directly to them by God. But we have things written down for us. And as we read these things and try and understand these things through the eyes of faith, we're kind of looking at these things. And in doing so, we're kind of like a prophet. We're kind of looking ahead to see what's coming. And so that's a fun thing to be able to do this morning. Uh, so I would invite you to just join with me in that. Things that have been told us in advance before they happen, God has made these things known to us. And maybe sometimes we read some of the things and we're not sure why I need to know that, why I need to know this. Uh, sometimes maybe it doesn't seem like it applies to us. But please, like, don't let that be the standard by which you measure whether this is a value or not. Just enjoy the fact that God has given us a glimpse into the future. And last week, there was a lot of heavy things and a lot of sad things to to consider. We went through, well, the first thing wasn't sad. The first thing is the rapture. When we get to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and to see him face to face and be made like him and to ever be with the Lord, that's coming next. But then uh, Daniel 70th 7, which we would typically call the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, the Lord Jesus Christ comes in glory and in power and to bring his kingdom and all the prophecies of his glory uh, that the disciples were all expecting, that he was coming in glory, that he was coming in power, that he was coming to reign. They didn't understand that he came to die. Well, all those passages that they were thinking about were true. It's like, what about all the passages that speak about the Messiah's suffering? What about those passages? Well, those took place already, and now it's time for him to come in glory and in power to reign and bring his kingdom to earth. And he's going to do that for a thousand years. And then after a thousand years is up, uh, there's going to be a judgment that's going to fall on rebels who will rise up against the king in that day. And uh, Satan's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And then there's going to be this scene called the great white throne in which all the dead will be judged and all the books will be opened and everyone will be judged by those things in the books. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, at that scene there, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, and these things are heavy, but they, these things are going to happen, and you can only shiver a bit to imagine that scene one day, the reality of it actually happening, people actually being there before that throne. Uh, it, it's a, a very grave scene, but it's an absolutely righteous and just scene. It's a pure scene, and uh, yet it's, it's very sobering. It will come, and we've been told. I mean, you think about the things that God didn't have to tell us things. You know, he didn't have to tell us things. There's one part in Revelation where where John hears these thunders say something, and he's about ready to write down what they said, and he's told, don't write down that. 
don't write down what they said. We don't know what they said. We could make some speculation, but we don't know what they said. It's hidden. But there's things that God has made known. He's revealed things to us. And if we are His, we have a spirit within us, there's purpose and there's something of great value to us to know these things, to act like a prophet and view these things and uh, be very much knowledgeable of what God has chosen to reveal to us. And so that brought us to chapter 21, which is where we're going to look at this morning. And not really any heavy, sad scenes. Now it's just a lot of cheer, (laughs) a lot of things to just wonder about, be amazed about, uh, to rejoice in. Um, and so we're heading towards the end of the story. What is the end of the story of the Bible? What is the end of the story? Now, the end of the book ends at chapter 22, verse 21. But the end of the story happens just a little bit before that, and then there's kind of an epilogue. So, Lord willing, we are going to get to the end of the story. But if you're trying to figure out where it is, well, maybe you can figure it out, but I'm not going to tell you yet, uh, so we'll have to wait for that. Well, we're going to start looking in a little more detail at chapter 21, and let's uh, look at verse 1. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no more sea. Then I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, coming down, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his. And I don't know if there's a single translation that uh, that's here present today that will have this accurately. It's going to come up in a second, and I know, you know, sometimes I, as I'm getting ready to say things, I know that some of these things may be more technical and too detailed than you would care to hear this morning, but there's some of us here that will really, I'm sure, enjoy this, uh, so sorry for those who are like, just get on with it, but uh, <laughs> they will be his peoples, plural. They will be his peoples. The word is plural. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. Oh, it's just, I know I'm challenged with time and I have to be careful how much I say, but I just, when he says I make all things new, there's a, just a beautiful truth there that it doesn't necessarily have the idea of making new things, but of making something that is making it new, making it new, including the heavens and the earth, that it's not going to be, I would suggest to you, start, starting over from scratch, but it will be making what is there new. You know, he's going to do that with our bodies, right? It's just I, I, just amazing. I, I was going to skip this point, but I'm like, I go on with it anyways. Because it's just such a, a commentary on his power. And I don't, I don't want to miss bringing this out. His, his great power. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, renew is, yeah, sure, that's a good word, renew. Yeah, is that a, uh, one of the words in, in that translation? Okay, yeah, renew, yeah. So that's the idea of it, renew it. So you think about our bodies, they're like, when we die, it, you know, they go into the ground, they decompose. Remember Lazarus, like, Lord, he's been in the grave for four days, he's I like the King James. He stinketh. You know, like, it's, this is like humiliation. This is deterioration. This is vileness. This is corruption. This is what's happening to the body because of sin. And you'd almost say that the the Lord would say, well, uh, or maybe someone would say to the Lord, Lord, well, I guess you're just going to have to start over. He says, oh, no. I'm going to take that body, and I'm going to raise it, and I'm going to change it. You say, wow, Lord, I know you had the power to make things out of nothing, but you have the power to take something that sin has absolutely ruined and destroyed, and you can still make something new of that? Oh, it's incredible power. And I suggest to you he's going to do that with the world as well. He makes things new. He renews them. Yes. Well, we have those wonderful words there in verse, uh, going back to uh, verse 3. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. and He will dwell with them. And for those of us here this morning, like um, it was said this morning, uh, Steve said it this morning about uh, knowing the character of God. We've got to know what God is truly like. It's just some philosophies out there. There's some perspectives out there. There's even some doctrines out there that are not in accord with the true knowledge of God. And if we really want to understand things right, we have to understand God. And God wants to be with people. God wants to be with people. He doesn't want people separated from him. He wants to be with people. That's his heart. And you can make it, even make a case that says that this place of of wrath, this uh lake of fire was not even prepared for people, but for the devil and his angels. His desire, his heart, is that all should be saved. He wants to be with people. This is his heart. He loves those whom he has created. He loves his creation. And so he wants to dwell with them. And the day is coming when in a most incredible way, there's there's the idea of him dwelling in various ways put before us in the scriptures, but nothing quite like this yet. <laughs> nothing quite like this yet. This is just, it's going to be absolutely incredible when he is dwelling with his peoples. And, in that day, these other things, we're talking about the end of the story. Maybe you could say, well, the story would have been great just to end right there because verse 4 is pretty great. He will wipe away tears from their eyes. There should be no more death. You know, we talked about Tim McClelland, you know, this morning and the gasps here. I had found out last night as well, just the suddenness and the sorrow. It's one of the places in the scripture where the Lord weeps, right? When he sees what death does to the heart of people and the sorrow that it brings. Well, the day is coming when that will be done. Death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. There'll be no more of that. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. You know, I, 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 I'm sure this is true. I, I, I have no doubts, even though I don't know it specifically. I'm sure that this is true, that there are those here with us this morning who have cried, I could even say today, 
I'm sure there's, there's just pain in this world. There are people who are in pain with us this morning. These things are going to pass away. They're going to be done. No more. And if you believe these things, then have hope. <laughs> be cheered through this life. And I, what, what I can say to someone who's here with us, who hears these things and doesn't believe it, I'm sorry. This probably just falls a bit flat for you. But this is the word of God. And he's telling us things to come, and they are true. And if we believe them, oh, <laughs> what a pleasure for us who have faith. But we have to get to this incredible city. We have to, I, I'm just, we've got to talk about this city that John saw coming down out of heaven. It was adorned like a bride. And uh, I think I said last week, you know, I just, having not been married for very long and just thinking about Michelle as my bride and just looking at her and her beauty adorned for me. I, I was dressed up pretty nice too. I wasn't dressed up. I was dressed up for her, you know. <laughs> it was for her and she for me. And uh, it was, it's just beautiful and joyful. And uh, that's like the, the probably the main emotion you want to get when the bride and the groom, it's joy, joy. And uh, here comes this city like a bride adorned for her husband. Um, but what what can we learn more about this? Because that's, you know, for the person who knows the scriptures, um, reads them, meditates on them, you say, okay, a bride, um, this like is, is spurring some thoughts in my mind because it makes me think of a bride, but I'm not sure is that, is that right to think of that here? We'll go down to verse 9. We'll learn a little more. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls filled with the seven last plagues came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, as soon as you see that, you say, Wait a second. I know who this is. I know. Who, who's the lamb? The lamb is Christ. Well, who's the bride of Christ? Well, that's the church. That's the church. And it's very hard to not be influenced by other passages of Scripture, particularly Ephesians chapter 5, and not conclude that this is who who this is. This bride, this lamb's wife, who is, it's a city. Now, there, like I said last week, uh, there will be Christians who who will interpret things differently, and you'll encounter them. And that's one of the reasons why it's good to hear messages like this so uh, you can kind of think these things through and be prepared uh, for someone who might have a different view. But I believe this. I'm sure that many as, uh, here do as well, that this is a literal city. This is a literal city. But it's more than just a literal city. It's more than that. It speaks to the church this is more than just a literal city. This is people. In fact, just to give you just a hint of proof to that, go to the last chapter, chapter 22, and look at verse 17. Something very interesting there. It says, And the Spirit and the Bride, that's the Holy Spirit, and the Bride say, Come. Wait a second. How is this city? This is like city, right? It's a city. A city doesn't talk. Well, this city does. <laughs> because it's not just a city. This is a people. This is a person uh, in a sense. It's the church speaking. The bride saying, come. 
All right, let's read a little bit more about this city. I'll go back to verse 10 of chapter 21. I know there's probably some questions, uh, you know, that need to be answered here. So, so just hold, hold on. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get to them. <laughs> uh, verse 10 says, uh, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, why, why is he taken up to a high mountain? I mean, the, this city is coming down out of heaven. Wait till you hear how big it is. If you don't know how big this is, be prepared. It's huge. The city is coming down out of heaven, and he's taken up to a mountain to see it. Like, why didn't he just wait for it to come down? <laughs> just wait for it to come down, and then you can see it. But no, he's taken up to a mountain to look at it. And... Uh, it's quite reasonable to conclude, and you'll see some more evidence in just a little bit here. This is kind of wild, that this city isn't coming down to earth. It's not coming down to earth. In fact, it's just going to stay there. <laughs> and that's why John has to be brought up to a high mountain, so that from there he can see it a little bit better. Hmm. That'll come up again here in a second. Look at verse 11. Having the glory of God. This city... If you're picturing it, it has the glory of God. And some of the things that we're about to read will tie in with this. Like you say, what is glory? What does it mean it has the glory of God? It's just bright and beautiful, magnificent and full of just splendor, just radiating out of it. I remember one preacher a long time ago, he said the word glory in such a way that it's always stuck with me to help me understand the word glory. And he said it this way, glory, glory, like a glow is coming, a light is coming off of it. It's just shining. It's just shining. I feel like giving you a hint. It's just shining. It's there in the sky, <laughs> just shining. Hmm. Just the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone. And look at this. This is Hopefully, it's like, we're going to see a couple things like this. And there's a detail. Uh, it's just wonderful. Clear as crystal. So it's beautiful. It's glorious. And what it's made of, it's clear. Clear as crystal. Um, go jump ahead a little bit, a little more about this city in verse 18. It says, the construction of its wall was of jasper. We just read clear as crystal. And I know that you've heard the streets of gold, right? The streets of gold. Well, there is something interesting we're going to read about that. But did you know that the whole city is gold? That's what it says next, right? The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold. Pure gold. So you've heard the streets. Well, Look at the text. The whole city is pure gold. So up your thoughts about this city, right? Up your thoughts about it, you know. I remember someone telling us a story about a guy who died, and he's just pleading with God, can I please just bring one thing with me? Just let me bring one thing. And he said, you can't bring it. Please, just let me bring one thing. He says, okay. So he brought out his gold, and he got to the gates of heaven, and St. Peter, you know how these stories go, said, says to him, you know, uh, well, you're welcome to come in, but uh, can I ask you a question? Why did you bring pavement? You know, so, like, it's... But it's more than just the street. It, it, the whole city is gold. And it, look at what it says next. Like clear 
glass. Someone told me that this actually exists on the earth. Pure gold like clear glass. So this clarity. Um, it goes on to talk about the foundations of the wall and all these precious stones that are in it. I'm not even sure I know how to pronounce all those stones. And verse 21 says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And look at this. Here we go. And the street. It's singular. I, you know, I just, that's what it is. It's singular. The street of the city was pure gold. And here we go again. It says, like transparent glass. What's with all this, like, this description of everything is like see-through. Everything is clear and transparent. Why is that? You guys, this is so (laughs) ridiculously cool. Uh, Look at verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. For those of you who are interested in this, like, just a little detail, because if you go back and you read Ezekiel, some of the things that Ezekiel talks about will make you think of Revelation 21. But Ezekiel describes a temple. And sometimes you may think, is that the same thing? Is this what's going on here in what Ezekiel is talking about? Is it the same thing? It can't be the same thing. Ezekiel saw a temple with the city. This has no temple. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. <laughs> Personally, God's just the temple. The Lamb is the temple. And verse 23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Now, I... Like you, I mean, I've taken some nice pictures. Uh, Michelle has as well, especially when we were in Hawaii on our honeymoon. Just beautiful sunsets, sunrises, and uh, the, the, the moon is just so beautiful at night, right? And you say, I, I kind of like the sun. I kind of like the moon. Can't we just have those stick around? What's this no need of the sun or or the moon to shine in it? And I'll just... <laughs> I, I say the words, but I, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know what. It's just what we're talking about here. Is the glory of God? The Lamb is the light. We are speaking of uncreated light. We don't even know <laughs> that uncreated light. If we think the created lights are beautiful. And they, they, they captivate us, and we want to take pictures of it. We want to look at those things, and those things are created light. What is uncreated light going to be like? Like sun? What, what moon? <laughs> I mean, the beauty of the light that comes from the Lamb, we can only wonder at its beauty. And it's going to just fill up this whole city. It's going to fill up the whole city. Maybe now, wait a second, everything's transparent. Everything's clear. So there's the lamb in the center of the city shining, and it's shining through the whole city. The whole city, there's no shadows. Light is everywhere. Not only is it everywhere in the city, it's shining out of the city in every direction, and it's there in the sky. Now, what does that remind you of? It's like the sun, 
It's like this city is like the new sun in the sky. The lamb is in the center of it. The whole city is see-through. And the sun is, and, and the lamb is just shining his uncreated light. His glory is just coming through the whole city, shining out of the city, even the street, so that the light can go down to those who are dwelling on the earth. It's just shining like a sun. And look at what it says next. This is like a little bit mind-boggling for, I mean, yeah, well, you'll see here. It says, the nations, and wait a second, nations? Aren't we talking about the eternal state at this point? Like, nations? The nations shall walk in its light. That's the other evidence I was referring to to suggest that this city does not come down to earth. It is there like a sun, and the nations that are still on the earth are going to walk in the light of it as if it's their sun. They shall walk, and that brings us back to his peoples. His peoples. There's nations still yet to be spoken of. Nations, they shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. You say, wait a second, I always, I, I thought it was just everyone's in heaven and that's the end of the story. And now you're telling me that uh, there's actually nations, that there's the church and there's nations. And I know maybe Steve in particular says, there's somebody else too. <laughs> there's somebody else there maybe by the name of Israel. But there's nations in this day, listen to a very famous verse that I know you know. Just one evidence. Uh, there's more evidence, but just this one should do a good job of, of putting before us that there will still be nations in that day. And this is the verse. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. I like that that kind of rhymes. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. This is God promising his son in Psalm 2, his inheritance of the nations. Now, I'm not so ready to say that his inheritance is temporary. <laughs> I am not so ready to go ahead and conclude that the nations will continue to exist and they are the inheritance of the Son of God. They belong to him and they will continue to exist and there he will be in the center of the city shining like a light upon them on the earth. Hmm. Twelve, we got some descriptions here of this city. Verse 12 the city having a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And names written on them, which are the names, oh, what do we have here? Of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So we're talking about the church. We're talking about nations. And now we've got Israel brought up here. The 12 tribes of the children of Israel, their names are on the gates of this city. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And then it tells us about the wall of the city. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names, the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 
And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Now this uh, city, look what it says there, uh, verse 17. It says, he measured its wall 144 cubits. Now what's a cubit? We don't usually measure things by cubits anymore. In a second, we're going to read about furlongs, and we're going to be like, what are furlongs? What are cubits? What are furlongs? Can we speak in feet and miles or something? Yeah, we're going to do that. 44 cubits is about uh, 216 feet. So if you give about 14 feet to a, a story, 13 to 14 feet to a, a story of a building, we're talking about this wall being like a 16-story a, a building, the wall. And there's gates, and the gates are never shut, but there's a wall. And uh, it's 16 stories high. And it's got these foundations, the names of the 12 apostles. That makes sense to us. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And maybe there's a connection there that we could say, well, that makes sense. But this, uh, this, these gates that are named after the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, what's up with that? Now, this part, I'm sorry if it's like... Uh, <laughs> uh, I love this, all right? So, and I'm sure that there, there will be those of us who will love this. There was a bit of a perplexity with me for quite some time when I would read Revelation. Um, here, right in this, in this passage here, especially when I got to those gates and saw that the, they were named with the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Because I, like many, believe in a distinction between Israel and the church and even the nations. Now, distinct. The church is distinct. Israel is distinct. The nations are distinct. They don't. Like, you don't see them coming together and being one thing. Now, you see those from the nations getting saved and becoming part of the church. You see Jews, especially in the early church, many, many, many Jews. 99.9% of the early church was Jewish. They are part of the church. But there's still a distinction to be made there. And so here, to have 12 gates, by the way, you know what I should say here? When I talk about how Christians don't all agree, you will f- encounter Christians. There might be some here uh, that believe that the church has just taken over the blessings of Israel. It's called, what, replacement theology. And they just think that we, as the church, have assumed all of the rights of Israel. And they don't take literally the promises uh, to Israel, especially in the Old Testament. So you'll encounter things like that. But I believe what will be taught here and held here is that Israel and the church are distinct groups and that God still has a plan for Israel as a nation, as a whole. Uh, you read the book of Romans, right? And uh, But read the Bible, I should just say. <laughs> read the Bible and you'll know that God has a plan for Israel. But if this city... As the bride of the Lamb is the church, then why the gates named after the 12 tribes of Israel? Are Israel and the church now one in what we commonly refer to as the eternal state? Have they lost their distinction as a completely separate entity? I don't think so. I submit to you that Israel will be Israel, the church will be the church, and the nations will be the nations forever. That's the way it's going to be. And these gates have an explanation, which I hope we will not only find agreeable, but actually, I hope you'll find it quite cool, (laughs) what we're going to see here. As we head into a bit more about this city and get that explanation, let me paint the scene here a little bit. What I'm seeing here is that there's this city in heaven, in the sky, shining like the sun, 
You've got the nations that are walking in the light of it, but you also have Israel as distinct, and Ezekiel sees the mountain on which he sees the city and the new temple. And so you've got the nations, and you've got Israel, and then you've got the church. And they're, they're all distinct. They're all there in this scene. Um, I, I do not have time to give some proof. Uh, it's just... Oh. Uh, just one, Deuteronomy 4.40 says, the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. That's what he said to Israel. I'm giving you this land for all time. It's like always going to be theirs, and that's where they're going to be. The topography might change, you know, but uh, it's going to be there. It might be purified by fire, but that land is going to be theirs for all time. But I want to get to these dimensions of this city. Um, in fact, I'll just, for sake of time, let me just... Uh, because we've got to get to the end of the story here. So this city, it's measured in furlongs, and you figure out what that is, and the city is 1,400 miles wide. For, that's like here to Texas, I think. 1,400 miles wide. Okay? It's also 1,400 miles in length. I got one more for you. <laughs> Some of you know this, right? It's 1,400 miles high. 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles in length, maybe 1,500, depending on how you classify a furlong, and 1,400 miles high. It's huge. <laughs> and it's there in the sky like a sun, and it's a cube, if you will. Its, it's dimensions are, are, are perfect every side. And there is the Lamb in the midst of it, shining, this huge city. Um, there's another place in the Bible where dimensions are given, where the width, length, and height are all equal. One other place in the whole Bible where the width, length, and height are all equal. This <laughs> is the coolest. The Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. In the tabernacle, when they built the temple, the width, length, and height, they're all equal. And who was in there? The Lord was in there. The Lord was in there. The glory of God was in there, shining. But no one else could see it, right? Oh, it was covered. No one else could see it. But in this day, this Holy of Holies, if you will, is going to be lit up and everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to see the glory of God. And this is where those gates come in. I mean, I suggest to you that these gates are all named after the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, not because they are the residents of the city, but they are invited to come into the city. Hey, Dan, there's your gate over there. And um, Judah, there's your gate. You can come in that one. Benjamin, there's your gate. Come on in. Wait a second. We can come in? We can come into this holy of holies where the presence of the Lord is, all of us, not just the Levites, not just the family of Aaron, not just the high priest, not just one day a year. Yep, there's 12 gates. You, you can just come on in. You know, this is, <laughs> do you know, I had a sister come up to me and contend with me. I didn't know the verse right off the top of my head. I had to go and find it. I said it off the cuff. I said, you can make a case that God initially wanted Israel, the whole nation, to be priests. 
And she said, I don't think that that's true. And I said, I'm pretty sure. I'll try and find the verse. And right there in Exodus 19, right before the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, just before there are priests, before there is a tabernacle, the Lord speaks about how they are a kingdom of priests, that his intention was the entire nation be a kingdom of priests. It didn't work out that way. It turned out it was only Levi that would be the king, the, the, the uh, tribe that would be the priestly tribe. And only that tribe was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And only the one family of that tribe, and only the one man of that family, and only on one day. And he better go in with blood. He was probably just terrified. <laughs> just terrified as he pulled back that curtain. <laughs> and he had the incense and the smoke just, just filled up the place. And it was so that the glory of God, he just, I, I don't, I mean, if I had been the high priest, I would not have looked at his glory and like let that smoke fill the place up a little bit before I just hold that thing in there. I don't know how, but just going in there into the presence of the living God. The city is open. Even the kings get to bring their glory into it. And all the Israel, a kingdom of priests, they can all go into the Holy of Holies, all of them. They're all invited now, and the heart of God is fulfilled and what it was he wanted for Israel. Ah, oh, awesome. It says in other places, and I have the verses for those of you who want them. I'm skipping over because we've got to get to the end of the story in five minutes. And that is that the whole nation, all of them will be righteous. All of them will be righteous. It will be a righteous nation. And I can't help but think about the one that says, lift up the gates, open the gates up so that a righteous nation can enter. All of Israel is going to be righteous. They're all going to be redeemed. They're all going to be priests. And all of them are invited to come into this holy of holies. Hmm. Does it mean that all the questions are answered? I don't have all but this is uh, just, uh, it seems to be um, put before us here. If you want to look a little bit... Oh. <laughs> Just for your, I mean, just please do this because everything we've been talking about, read Isaiah 60, uh, um, particularly verses 19 to 21. Just, oh. But I have got to get on to the end of the story, chapter 22. For those, again, Isaiah 60, 19 to 21, just uh, got to read that. All right, so we're here to finish up the story, chapter 22. And he showed me a river of water of life, clear or bright as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life. Hey, that sounds familiar. Don't you? I mean, a good book, right? A good book will like introduce things at the beginning of the book and then at the end of the book, you're like, whoa, that totally ties in with how things started off. And it's brilliant that way because this isn't one person in one sense, writing this book. This is, how many authors was it? How many writers? Four, over 40, is it? Yeah, 40. 40 different writers of Scripture. And you've got the end tying in with the beginning like this. The tree of life is mentioned, which bore 12 fruits, yielding its fruit every month. So this is a suggestion that there still is time. You've got months. You've got months the leaves of the tree or for the healing or for the health of the nations. The nations are mentioned again. There shall be no more curse. That brings us back to Genesis. We read those verses, a bit of them, this morning in Genesis 3. 
There's no more curse. No more curse. You'll, if you're, if you're uh, tending a rose bush, you won't get poked by it. <laughs> you know, there's, um, I don't know, mosquitoes will suck something else besides blood. I don't know, but there will be no more curse. These things that have fallen upon nature and upon man because of sin, it's just not going to be anymore. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. Oh, I wish I could talk a little bit about that. There should be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And here you go. And they shall reign forever and ever. And he could almost put there the end. (laughs) Because the next part that goes to the end of the book, it's like an epilogue. There's other things that the Lord wants to say. But when you want the end of the story, that's the end of the story. What a way to end the story. They shall reign forever and ever. Wow, we got good things to look forward to. I, you can't even imagine. Like, we're trying to picture these things now. We're trying to imagine, put together the details, and by faith kind of look at these things. But brothers and sisters, one day we're not going to have to imagine. We're not going to have to read about it. We're not going to talk about it, try and figure it out. It will actually be the present. We will be there. And like maybe we'll look at each other and say, remember when we talked about these things in Brantford? <laughs> and they're happening. They're actually happening right raining with him. It's, it's real. You know, you think about the woes of our life and just how the scriptures speak of it as uh, this life is but a vapor waiting to pass. It's uh, like a shadow. It's so short. It's like a watch of the night. Now, when we're in eternity reigning with Christ for a gazillion billion years, we look back at this life and we're like, I, I kind of feel like it's going to be like, oh yeah, remember that life that we lived? It was so short. And here we are reigning with Christ. But this is what I want to finish with. I want to finish with one thing here that we already read. It says, and his servants shall serve him. Brothers and sisters, um, I don't know what you and I might be imagining our eternity holds for us. A cloud, a harp, putting our feet up and relaxing. Our eternity involves us serving the Lord. And I'm telling you, right, it is going to thrill us. (laughs) It is going to thrill our hearts in such a way that we have never even imagined that it could We get to serve the living God for all eternity. It's like God would say, let's see, now I want to give them, this is, this is, this is, what's the best thing I could give them? Okay, well, they'll see my face, okay, that's good, yep, that's good. I will dwell with them. What else can I give them that will be the best way to spend eternity? Let them serve me. And it's the one thing that we can do now, too. It's the one thing also we can do now. So if I want a taste of heaven, because that's what we're talking about this morning, that city, that's our home. That's where we're going to live. 
and it's going to be great. And the joy that I'm going to have in serving the Lord forever, I can taste that now. If I want a taste of heaven, let me serve the Lord. Because <laughs> the joy that increases for those who will serve him, uh, who, who can tell? Who can tell? If you're not serving the Lord yet, you're missing out on a lot of joy. <laughs> there's sorrow that comes with it. Sure, there's difficulties. Uh, there's uh, weight that comes with it, a- absolutely. Um, humiliation, things, all kinds of things that are tough. But it's a, the most joyful way to spend this life is to serve him. And when we get to heaven and we get to serve him forever, we'll know. We'll say, oh, if only I had started doing this earlier. It's like, oh, but you have all eternity to do it. Yeah, but I wish I had started it earlier. This is so wonderful. This is so joyful to serve my Lord. I wish I had started earlier. And you can start right now, you know. You have a gift. If you're a Christian, you have a gift from God. You have a gift from God, and it's meant for the edification of the church in particular. And you are required to be faithful with that grace. And he intends to bring you joy and gladness as you use that gift and serve him. But if that doesn't move someone this morning, if you're a Christian and that doesn't move you, that joy is extended to you and offered to you that you would serve him, then know this. There's a, an accountability that's coming to. And each of us will have to give account of ourselves to God. And he's going to say, I gave you something. Now give account for your stewardship. You want to be looking forward to that day. <laughs> you want to be looking forward to that day because you know that you are being faithful with what God has given you and you are serving him now and you know that joy and it makes it all the more fun to just look forward to the days that we've been speaking of. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, just you are brilliant and you are awesome and your plans are just simply magnificent. And we would... Th- conclude so just by reading about them and trying to imagine them. We can't even imagine what they'll be like when they're actually unfolding before us. Oh, we just, uh, the value of faith, oh, the value of faith to grow in our faith, to lay hold of these things and see these things with the eyes of faith. Oh, you call your children to this. And oh, the great hope and joy of those who grow in faith and know the things that are to come. Oh, wonderful things to come. So we just thank you for making these things known to us. We pray that you grant us understanding, and we just love you, and we look forward to these things. And Lord Jesus, we just give thanks because all of these things come to us, all these blessings come to us in you. And those of us who have trusted in you, we have you, and in you, we have everything. So we give thanks in your name. Amen.